0: Chapter 14 of Isaac Bickerstaff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isaac Bickerstaff, Physician and Astrologer by Richard Steele. Chapter 14, The Wife Dead. Sheer Lane, December 30th. I was walking about my chamber this morning in a very gay humor when I saw a coach stop at my door and a youth about fifteen alighting out of it, who I perceived to be the eldest son of my bosom friend that I gave some account of in a previous paper. I felt a sensible pleasure rising in me at the sight of him, my acquaintance having begun with his father when he was just such a stripling, and about that very age. When he came to me he took me by the hand, and burst into tears. I was extremely moved, and immediately he said, Child, how does your father do? He began to reply, My mother, but could not go on for weeping. I went down with him into the coach, and gathered out of him, that his mother was then dying, and that, while the holy man was doing the last offices to her, he had taken that time to come and call me to his father, who, he said, would certainly break his heart if i did not go and comfort him this child's discretion coming to me from his own head and the tenderness he showed for his parents would have quite overpowered me had i not resolved to fortify myself for the sensible performances of those duties which i owed to my friend as we were going i could not but reflect upon the character of that excellent woman for the greatness of his grief for the loss of one who has ever been the support to him under all other afflictions. How I thought, will he be able to bear the hour of her death, that could not, when I was lately with him, speak of a sickness, which was then passed without sorrow. We were now got pretty far into Westminster, and arrived at my friend's house, At the door of it I met Favonius, not without a secret satisfaction to find he had been here. I had formerly conversed with him at his house, and, as he abounds with that sort of virtue and knowledge which makes religion beautiful, and never leads the conversation into the violence and rage of party disputes, it appeared to a mind rightly cultivated— altogether to be contemned, or rather to be desired. As I met him at the door, I saw in his face a certain flowing of grief and humanity, heightened with an air of fortitude and resolution, which, as I afterwards found, had such an irresistible force as to suspend the pains of the dying, and the lamentation of the nearest friends who attended her i went up directly to the room where she lay and was met at the entrance by my friend who notwithstanding his thoughts had been composed a little before at the sight of me turned away his face and wept the little family of children renewed the expressions of their sorrow according to their several ages and degrees of understanding The eldest daughter was in tears, busied in attendance upon her mother. Others were kneeling about the bedside, and what troubled me most was to see a little boy, who was too young to know the reason, weeping only because his sisters did. The only one in the room who seemed resigned and comforted was the dying person. At my approach to the bedside, she told me with a low broken voice, This is kindly done. Take care of your friend. Do not go from him. She had before taken leave of her husband and children, in a manner proper for so solemn a parting, and with a gracefulness peculiar to a woman of her character. My heart was torn to pieces, to see the husband on one side suppressing and kneeling down the swellings of his grief, for fear of disturbing her in her last moments. And the wife even at that time concealing the pains she endured for fear of increasing his affliction she kept her eyes upon him for some moments and after she grew speechless and soon after closed them for ever in the moment of her departure my friend who had thus far commanded himself gave a deep groan and fell into a swoon by her bedside the distraction of the children who thought they saw both their parents expiring together, are now lying dead before them, would have melted the hardest heart. But they soon perceived their father recover, whom I helped to remove into another room, with the resolution to accompany him till the first pangs of his affliction were abated. I knew consolation would now be impertinent, and therefore contended myself to sit by him, and condole with him in silence. For I shall here use the method of an ancient author, who, in one of his epistles relating to the virtues and death of Marinsus' wife, expresses himself thus, I shall suspend my advice to the best of friends, till he is made capable of receiving it by those three great remedies. Necessitas ispa dies longa et satietas doloris the necessity of submission length of time and satiety of grief in the meantime i cannot but consider with much commiseration the melancholy state of one who had such a part of himself torn from him and which he misses in every circumstance of life His condition is like that of one who has lately lost his right arm, and is every moment offering to help himself with it. He does not appear to himself the same person in his house, at his table, in company, or in retirement, and loses the relish of all the pleasures and diversions that were before entertaining to him by her participation of them. This additional satisfaction from the taste of pleasures in the society of one we love is admirably described in Milton, who represents Eve's, though in Paradise itself, no further pleased with the beautiful objects around her, than as she sees them in company with Adam in that passage so inexpressibly charming. With the conversing I forget all time, all seasons, and their change, all please alike sweet is the breath of morn her rising sweep with charm of earliest birds, pleasant the sun when first on this delightful land he spreads his ornament beams on herb tree fruit and flower, glistening with dew, fragrant the fertile earth after short showers, and sweet the coming of grateful evening mild, the silent night with this her solemn bird and this fair moon and these the gems of heaven her starry train but neither breath of morn when she ascends with the charm of earliest birds nor rising sun on this delightful land nor herb fruit flower glistening with dew nor fragrance after showers nor grateful evening mild nor silent night with this her solemn bird nor walk by moon or glittering starlight without thee is sweet the variety of images in this passage is infinitely pleasing and the recapulation of each particular image with a little varying of the expression makes one of the finest turns of words that i have ever seen which i rather mention because mr dryden has said in his preface to juvenal that he could meet with no turn of words in milton it may further be observed that though the sweetness of these verses has something in it of a pastoral yet it excels the ordinary kind as much as the scene of it above an ordinary field or meadow i might here as am accidentally led into this subject shows several passages in Milton that have as excellent turns of this nature as any of our English poets whatsoever, but shall only mention that which follows, in which he describes the fallen angels engaged in the intricate disputes of predestination, free will, and foreknowledge, and to humor the perplexity makes a kind of labyrinth in the very words that describe it others apart, sat on a hill retired, in thoughts more elevent and reasoned high, of providence, foreknowledge, will, and fate, fixed fate, free will foreknowledge, absolute, and found no end in wandering mazes lost. End of chapter 14 Read by Elijah Fisher